If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Psalm 109, Psalm 109. Um, and one of the things you're going to find is this, this is a very difficult psalm for us. Um, and we, we want to feel it before we try to explain it, all right? I have a friend who pastors in Pennsylvania. He's been there now for about 20, probably 20 years pastoring. And about 10 years ago, when he had been into his ministry there, uh, an older couple came into the church who befriended his family, and they became very, very close. Um, so close that, you know, when you really get close with people, you're willing to be vulnerable and open. And, and my friend was willing to share struggles in the family, struggles with his wife, just the whole thing, you know? A wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Except, within about a year, that particular man had turned on my friend. And all the things he had learned about the family, he now made public. Accusations, interpretations, doing everything he can to push him out. And I remember how terribly difficult that was for this young man. He handled it with grace and honor, and now the church is doing very, very well. That other individual has left the church and has moved on. But I remember that time of of talking with him, and it it just felt like total betrayal. You know, where you open up to somebody, and you're honest, and you say this and that, and they use all of that ultimately against you to destroy you. Have you ever had experiences like that? Maybe within the family. Maybe with a coworker, extended family, neighbor, a whole host of possibilities there. David, when you come to Psalm 109, has felt betrayed. Listen to what he says. And then we want to talk about how you handle that. David says this, Psalm 109, verses 1 to 5. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. The last thing you want when you're struggling is to go to God and feel like he doesn't hear you, right? For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They've spoken against me with with lying tongues. It's, It's not even true. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Do you see what David's saying? I thought they were for me. And now they lie against me and they accuse me and they do everything they can to destroy me. What do you do with that? Well, one thing is, you can tit for tat, can't you? You can come up with subtle ways to lie or not so subtle ways to lie and destroy them. That'd be one approach. But David knows enough when those things happen, 
the last thing to do is to take that into your own hands. And instead, he turns to God. And what he's going to do in this psalm, this is what we call a psalm of petition. There's about 50 of them, roughly, in, in, in the book of Psalms. And what you typically find with David when he comes to God and he's feeling betrayed and oppressed and difficulty, he does the right thing. He comes and he petitions and he says, God, deliver me. And that, that, that is exactly what happens here in verse 21 down through verse 29. David will come and say, Lord, deliver me. And we're going to look at that. But let me tell you why I chose this psalm. Because every petition of David's when he's oppressed does that. I get that. The problem is, there's about 35 of those 50 psalms that have another petition connected to them. Not just God deliver me, but God punish them. And the reason I chose this psalm is to punish them is really long and really hard in this psalm. And honestly, folks, brothers and sisters, we need to wrestle through what it looks like to read about that in light of the fact that we are Christians in the New Testament. Do, do you understand? So that, that's, I want to go there. So I'm going to do something. I talk, was telling my wife about this. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Normally when I work through a text, I just go, okay, we just did verse 5. It's time for verse 6. I'm going to hold off on verses 6 down through verse 20, because that's the punish them section. I'm going to come to that, because I want to camp out there. I want to start, because it's in the text, verse 21, with the God deliver me section, okay? It's wonderful stuff, so we want to read it. But where I want us to really struggle with is punish them, all right? So that's why I'm just reversing it today, okay? All right. Does that make sense? All right, so hang in there. Folks, This is where we live, isn't it? If you have never been betrayed, if no one's ever been unkind to you, man, I would love to meet you. But I've never met anybody. I've never met anybody. So how do we handle this? Let's go first of all to to the God deliver me, verse 21 to 29. Notice what he says. But you sovereign Lord, Help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy. My heart is wounded within me. David, what do you feel like? Well, I I, I fade away like an evening shadow. David, what else do you feel like? I'm shaken off like a locust. Do you ever have something on your shirt and you just go... David goes like, I feel like that was just me. The shadow is going. God, I I don't know what to do. I'm poor. I'm needy. God, help. Because I know something about you, God. I know that you're love. And I know that your namesake and your reputation is larger than life. Isn't that why we go to him? We don't always understand his ways. That I get it. I fully get it. But we know 
He is for us when we can't explain the difficulties of life. Look at what else he says. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. They walk by, David says, and they go like, <laughs> you know, they, they don't even give me the time of day. And if they do, it's to destroy me. So verse 26, again, he cries out, help me, Lord, my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Folks, we would have nothing if we didn't know that God was for us. Let them know that it is your hand that you, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame, but may your servant rejoice. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. Here's what I think is really fascinating to me about this. I, I want you to listen to this. This is very, very important. When I am hurt, who am I thinking about most? Me! Do, do, right? And, and I get that. Like, I've just been hurt, so I think about me. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. Part of what happens in this psalm is David wants to shift the center of gravity so that it's not about God help Doug for Doug. Is it not easy to do that sometimes? Uh, isn't it? Get him for me. God, the center of gravity is always you, not me. I am the one who needs you, who loves you, who is bound to you, who is in covenant relationship with you. But Lord, for your name's sake, because you are love, so that all may know that you are God, deliver me. Do you see the difference? Do you see how the center of gravity changes? And so when we go to God, David is clearly teaching us, it's not the end of the day going and saying, Lord, give me a deal here so things go well so I can go on with life. Oh no, oh no, oh no. But use all of this to again remind me that life is about you. And I need you. And you are the God who is for me because of Jesus Christ. God, take glory for your namesake. The song we sang today, glorify, glorifying God. I mean, I mean, that's David on this song. Do, folks, do you see that? When we struggle with whatever it is, and when we ask for deliverance, it is never deliverance for Doug alone. It is always ultimately for the glory of God. But when I struggle, it's hard for me to remember that. Is it for you? Or is it just me? Like, you cut me. You just cut me. It hurts. And David wants to shift the center of gravity even when we suffer. So part of that psalm is God. The God who is for me. The God who is a God of justice. The God who takes glory for his namesake. Deliver me. That's a great part of the psalm. 
I know I went through it quickly. I hope you hear that because that's very, very important. However, I think we get our feet tangled in verses 6 to 20. Because remember I said, when you make petition, God deliver me is part of it. But what's the other part? God punish them. That's verses 6 to 20. I want to walk through this. And I want you to feel the weight of it before we try to explain the whole thing. Okay, all right? Listen to what he says. Verse 6. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. Lord, all that stuff that I experienced from them, you know what goes around comes around? May it come around. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. Anything that comes out of his mouth may be turned against him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. Are are you feeling this a little bit? I mean, he's basically saying demise, destruction, death, turmoil, pain, suffering, right? He's not done. He's not done. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruit of his labor. There's nothing left. His kids have nothing. He's dead. His wife's a widow. His stuff is gone. David's just going like, I say, what else can I say? Right? Listen. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. I mean, come on. He has nothing. He's gone. His children are wandering. They're homeless. Nothing's left. And when they walk by, may people not even take the time of day for them. Are you feeling this? Okay? Okay? It's just hard. All right? We're not done yet. Verse 13. May his descendants be cut off. Their names blotted out from the next generation. So in years to come, when somebody says, Finkbeiner, they don't even know the name anymore. It's gone. Okay? He's not done yet. Verse 14. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sin always remain before the Lord that he may blot out their name from the earth. He is not cared for by people and he is not cared for by God. That'll do it. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty full. David says, let me just explain to you why I'm saying all this. So this at least will help a little bit. He gives the cause in verses 16 to 20. Look at what he says. For this wicked man never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy, and the brokenhearted. But David just says, I want you to know this person is really wicked at every level. 
he loved to pronounce a curse. So God, what I'm now saying is, may it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing others. May that be far from him. He wore cursing of others as his garment. May it enter into his body like water and into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped about him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. If you read that and you say, so what's the, what's the question, Doug? <laughs> and you're not reading. Sounds almost vindictive, doesn't it? I love the deliverance part. And I love the end of the psalm where David then in confidence will say in verse 30 and 31, with my mouth I will greatly extol the Lord in the great throng of the worshipers I will praise his name for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. Carmelo, you get back up with John and see Dave was here and Laura was over here. Bill, you were here and Ruth, right? Did I get everybody? Okay, you guys come on back up. David is right there willing to sing with us because he's saying God is God. So I love the end of the psalm. I love the deliverance part of the psalm. I struggle a little bit with the punishment part. What do we do with that? Well, David is just using hyperbole. Okay, that's, I, I think that's part of it. I'm, 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 I'm okay with that, but there's a little bit more than that going on. A couple things to keep in mind. Before we talk about the New Testament, I just want to talk about the Old Testament. Because this is God's word. And I love God's word. And so we always have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to understand God's word and then appropriately apply it to ourselves? A couple things to keep in mind. Do you remember back when Abraham was called by God and God said, I will bless those that bless thee and what? Curse those that curse thee. David was also given a covenant as the king of Israel. And what you do to the king, you do to the nation. And what you do to the nation, you do against God. And Israel, you know, in our day, we have the state and we have the church. And if you ever get them mixed up, you're in a heap of trouble. Because they're never meant to be mixed up. The church is universal through every culture. A state... a is over just one particular nation. Totally, totally different. But in the Old Testament, guess what? That's all brought together into a theocracy. And, and we are never called as the church to be about punishing and doing all that kind of stuff, right? There's a state that does that. But in the Old Testament, all that is meshed together. And David, as the king over this nation, this theocracy where state and religion is all connected together, where there's promises of blessing and promises of cursing, when you come after the king, you come after the nation. And the nation is God's people. And when you come after that, you come after God. And virtually all the, all the curses mentioned here, 
You can go back and read about them in the book of Leviticus. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. So at some level, David is praying back what has already been stated for what you do to God's people. So that helps me a little bit, okay? Promise, I don't live there. I'm in the New Testament, so we're getting to that. Have I lost you? You still with me? Two other things I think are really, really important. David was the king. Who better to take revenge than a king? And yet, when you study the life of David, you will find out he never takes revenge. Does he with Saul? Does he with Absalom? Does he with Shimei? That bummer guy that's cursing David when Absalom's taken over, he's gone out, he's saying, hey, David, you this and you that. I mean, he's just all over the place. I mean, he's just awful. David comes back, and one of David's men says, let's kill that guy, man. You remember what he said? David said, no. David learned and knew a very important lesson. It was never his place to be God. It was God's place to be God when God saw fit. And if the king does that as an example, that teaches me that I am never to take vengeance into my own hand. Never. The king in a theocracy didn't do that. Rather, he turned it back to God. Okay. Helps us a little bit with the Old Testament. But here we are in the New Testament. Does God care about justice? Absolutely. And one of the things that's really, really important to learn, and one of the things, matter of fact, I, 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 I was listening, I don't know where it was, I heard Tim Keller on YouTube a couple weeks ago, I don't, and I, I was going to go back and try to find it, I had no idea even where I saw it, but, but he said something really interesting that, that really struck me. He was saying he was um, talking with a, a, a fella in his church that had been from Africa, and I think, I, I think it may have even been Sudan, you know, an area where there's been intense, incredible persecution and, and, and challenge. And they were talking, and he asked the fellow something like, what's your favorite passage in the Bible? And, you know, you're looking for John 3.16, you know, or, or one of our, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Just a lot of great ones. He said the guy's favorite passage was one of the imprecatory psalms. And he said, after I heard him say that, my first response was, what? That, that, so he, fe- he didn't say it. That's what he felt. But he says, I thought about it. I thought to myself, here is a man who has known almost nothing but persecution for years and years. And he takes great solace and the fact that he can take all of that to God. So what, what I don't want to do too quickly is just talk this away as if, oh, it's no big deal. Justice is a very big deal to God. We can never forget that. And what we find in Jesus and in the cross is that beautiful blending of the two, don't we? Where we find justice and mercy. I I couldn't help but think about Luke chapter 6. What we call the Sermon on the Plain. 
If you kind of read through that, where it starts is you find out David says, blessed are those, blessed are those, four blessings. Real nice. Then he goes, woe to those people that are, uh, uh, persecute. Woe to those people who are rich and use it against the poor. And you, you know, he has four woes. And I've often thought, coming out of that, what's Jesus going to say next? Woe to you for doing this and woe to you. It's another way to say you're condemned. You're in, you're in a heap of trouble. And so I'm waiting for the next thing for Jesus to say and just wait because God is going to fry them or something. <laughs> but you know what he says in Luke 6? After Jesus gives this incredible woe, he says, bless your enemies. Love those who hate you. Give to those who take from you. And you're going like, why? Didn't you just say like, woe to them? Didn't you just declare to us that you are a God of justice? Mm -hmm. And people that will not fall down before Christ, but will go their own rebellious way and hurt people in the process, will face the justice of God. And can I tell you something, folks? As hard as what David says in Psalm 109 is, it pales in comparison to hell. Doesn't it? There is an eternal judgment coming, and Jesus doesn't mix words. He knows it. He declares it. So he comes upon Jerusalem, and he says, your walls are going to be broken down, and people are going to be killed, and all these terrible things are going to happen. But you know what he mixes it with? He weeps over the city. Do, do, do you see that? Justice is never minimized in the New Testament, folks. It is there because God is a God of justice. He will protect his name. But it adds to that, that he is a God of mercy. And, 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 and even in David's life, we could have gone back and read Psalm 35. David knows this because David will say back in Psalm 35, my enemies hurt me, but I return them good for evil. So this is not something new in the New Testament. David understood it in the Psalms, okay? David did that. But in the New Testament, because God has become a man in the person of Jesus Christ and lived among us and dies for us, everything is ratcheted up to a new level, isn't it? The cross, all these imprecatory prayers should have been prayed against me at the cross. Because I did far worse to God. My life before I knew him, I held a fist up and my theme verse was, I'll have it my way. That's how I lived. And all of that, th th those things plus should have been to my account. And at the cross, Jesus took that all on himself. So much so that when Paul talks about how we treat people who hurt us in Titus chapter 3, he says, I want you to remember something. As people who are sinners, who frankly don't know anything else to do but to sin... And they're unkind and they're doing these things to you. I want you to remember something. I want you to remember that you were mercied by Jesus Christ on the cross. 
when you were going your own way as a rebel with a fist raised up against him. He died for you. And when you accept him as your savior, all your sins were washed away and you were forgiven by God, the God who took it all upon himself. So you remember that when you respond to people around you. Brothers and sisters, that changes everything, doesn't it? You cannot read Psalm 109 from the words of David unless you read it through the ultimate descendant of David, Jesus Christ. The ultimate David, who says, justice is mine, I will punish those that go their own way. And yet the heart of a believer should be, God, I know that, you will do that for your name's sake, it's going to be awful, it is true. But my heart's prayer is that they would first come to know your love and mercy in Jesus Christ. If they don't, they will face your wrath. And so that's how the ultimate David, Jesus Christ, helps us to read Psalm 109. Does that make sense? He never denies justice. Justice is coming. I mean, don't you have in Revelation chapter 6 martyred saints in heaven under the throne saying, God, how long till you bring justice for what has happened? It's not an ungodly prayer. It is a godly prayer. It's just that it must always be meshed with God has mercied me. How can I be used of him to move back toward those people in such a way that they might first experience his mercy. And if not, they will experience his vengeance. That's how it works. It's the message all the way through the New Testament. He never minimizes the one, but he puts it in perspective through the other. That helps me when I come to Psalm 109. To read it, not skip any words, to feel it, to wrestle with it, to hear justice, to hear deliverance, but to hear all of that through God's ultimate word that comes to us in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ. And that is how you and I should live. So if you've been oppressed or if you've been betrayed or whatever that thing is, you list it, you list it, because we all have. Should you pray for deliverance? Where your gravity is centered on God? Yep, you got it, you got it. Should you pray that God would be just? Yes, But your heart's desire is first that he might extend his mercy and that person might experience forgiveness. And if not, that person will experience his justice. So I don't know what it is for you. But will you allow Jesus and the cross to just help you to see it all from that perspective? Because whatever you face, that will change everything. Father, 
We thank you for your word. A word that calls us not to be people of vengeance, but to be people of prayer. Prayer to a God who is for us, who for his name's sake will deliver us in his time and in his way. For a God who will not allow those that are wicked to go unpunished, but who desires that all men would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, may that be our heart's beat where the center of gravity is you, even in the midst of our suffering. In Christ's name I pray, amen.